You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. This morning we're going to talk about another pathway to growth. And you have notes in your bulletin you can take out. We're going to follow. Best we can, we'll follow that. And I, I want you to know that I've had people tell me, I've tried Christianity, it didn't work. It didn't work. And I, you ask them, well, how long did you try it for? Oh, a couple weeks. You know, and, and, and their life didn't change. So they go, it, it doesn't work. And they go, well, you probably didn't uh, uh, approach it the right way. And that's why when we talk about discipleship and pathway to growth, growth, we all have to be able to say salvation. If you take the word salvation and put an equal sign next to it, next to it should be change. Salvation equals change. Because when it says in the, in, in the New Testament, the old is gone, the new has come. That we've been transformed or been changed. Um, that means what it means to follow Christ is to be, is to be saved. And so this morning, I want to um, talk to you about what it means to be yoked to Christ and using um, that particular term. You know that um, hurry and worry is a disease of our time. I, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. I'm busy. That's what they call me and said, I know, Pastor, you're busy. Or they know, you know, Dad, you're busy. I know. We're all busy. And, and we, that's our common, our common denominator. What's going on? Busy. And, and we, we pack so much in from margin to margin. You know, when kids color and they're like two and three-year-old, they can't keep inside the margins of a picture because they haven't learned to paint in the margin. We don't know what it is to stay in the margins of life. We go margin to margin, fill it all up. We don't, we don't have a second to move. And, and so when we, when we talk about that, anxiety and worry becomes our national pastime. And uh, people are just bound by it. I read this in a magazine, um, by the way, from 1961. This is the front of Time magazine. Anxiety is the, do- is the dominant fact and is threatening to become a dominant cliche in our modern life, 1961. It shouts in the headlines, nags us from advertisements, and it speaks squarely in our boardrooms, and it whispers in the privacy of each day before the mirror and our dressing table, anxiety. What did they worry about in 1961? There was nothing to worry about in 1961. There was no CNN, so nobody knew what was going on in the world. Nobody had a cell phone, so everybody was in the dark. And, and we had to use dial phones with circles and, you know, that kind of stuff. You go, what did they worry about in 1961? Look at today. Something happens around the world, we know it in seconds. And now we have to worry about so much more. And I found that this belief system, it forms in us that we have to be able to give up our burdens. We have to be able to live without the weight of anxiety and worry that so easily encompasses us. And that's why when I used to drive, um, when I lived in Quartz Hill, um, there was a place called Angeles Forest Highway. And Angeles goes from Palmdale to Pasadena. I drove it to Life Pacific College, downtown LA, and then to San Dimas for 11 years. I was pastoring, but I was also teaching. So I got up every Monday morning, three days a week, I was on Angela's Crest at 5.30 in the morning. 
Now, what I did to keep my mind occupied in this 55 miles of two-lane road around mountains, thank you very much, I passed cars. And I would count how many I passed. Fun. So I, 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 would, I mean, I worked at it, worked hard. And one day I had passed 10 cars before I got to the, and when you get down to the bottom, there's a stoplight. I mean, I worked hard, passed on blind corners, was doing everything I could do because it kept me awake. So I got down there and I thought, I'm very proud of the 10 cars today. When I stopped at that stoplight, I stayed there two minutes. Every one of those cars behind me. I go, I spent an hour busting my behind, driving as fast as I could to wait one minute at a stoplight and everybody catch up. And so the Lord spoke to me. He really did. He goes, why are you in such a hurry? I don't know. And that got my attention. And he said, slow down. Slow down. You don't need to pass 10 cars. All right, I'll pass eight. So here's the two things. Here's the two things that I found out even from that. Here's the two big illusions. I will someday have more time. Let's say that together. Let's read it together. I will someday have more time. That's the biggest fallacy in the planet. When you tell yourself, I'm going to have more time. I'm going to graduate high school and have more time. I'm going to graduate if I go to college. Oh, what are the graduates? What are you going to say when you graduate? Are you guys busy? Yeah. Okay, don't get too excited. But when you graduate, are you going to have more time? No. Because you get a job. Then you got to work. And then one of those things that just sucks time is marriage. <laughs> I knew I'd get it from somebody. The, but then you have something called children. They use up all the rest of the time. And they don't ever go away. <laughs> but I used to think, oh, when I get older, I'll have more time. No. I found out there's only 24 hours a day, and it doesn't get any better. You don't get any more. It's just the way it is. So, um, you know, when we start pressing time, and so we push everything in those margins, and we have no time. That's why we're late. I'm always in a hurry and usually never on time, and Jesus was never in a hurry and always on time. And so I got, I got to slow down. I, you just have to learn that time is not this thing that we have to have from bumper to bumper. All right, here's the second big illusion. Come on, say it with me. Someday I will have enough stuff. No, you won't. You know that smartphone you bought last month? It's worthless now because the new one has come out. What were you thinking? I, I, I bought a laptop, went and bought it at Best Buy, went in about six months because it needed some work, and I goes... I don't know why you bought this model. Now what? Got to buy this model. Come on. You, as soon as you buy a car, there's another car that comes out and it's better. It's got, and so we never have enough stuff. All of you in here, if you went down the street and there was a huge garage sale, how many of you would stop even though you don't need anything? <laughs> My wife asked me the other day. Now, I have to admit, Costco is pretty addicting. It just is. And um, a true story for us, we went in to get orange juice and came out with a bedroom set. True story, absolutely true story. So it's just one of those things. 
And so when you go and you, and you say, Connie asked me, a suit. my wife's Connie, and she was, she was with me. She's working today or she would have been here. But Connie said, and she goes, well, we're going to go to Costa. We need anything. I said, we haven't needed anything in a year, but we still keep buying stuff. And so, you know, it's just that you just never have enough stuff. If somebody's got 70% off, we had garage sales in our, in our um, subdivision, and we had a gated community. And once a year, we had a huge community garage sale. You know what happened? Everybody traded their stuff from one house to the next house. Absolutely true, because we all had the same models. So somebody would get rid of their curtains, and it fit in my house, so I'd put it in my house, and they would take my couch, and, you know, and we'd go, man, someday I'll have enough stuff. No. The more stuff you have, the more burden it becomes, the more burden it wears on you. The more that you have. It's usually not people that weary us. It's usually stuff that does. And so when you think about what Jesus wants to tell us, when you have an invitation, in that invitation, you have to ask yourself, what's your relationship with the person who's inviting you to come? So when you have to think about who it is that you're RSVPing to, and so you have to ask yourself, if Jesus gives you an invitation to come, what's your relationship to him? Do you know him well? Is he your savior? Are you kind of scared that he invited you? You ever been invited someplace you shouldn't have been invited? Somebody, you know, somebody that was above your, your pay grade invited you to a party? Woo-hoo, I'm going. You know, or somebody you don't like invites you. What do you do to that? Yeah, I'm not going to that. And so you have to ask yourself, what do you do with an invitation? And let me tell you, the greatest pathway ever given to growth. And the greatest invitation ever offered is from Jesus himself. So let's go to Matthew, first book, chapter 11. And uh, Matthew was a Jew who wrote about um, a discipleship to the Jews from the book of Matthew, gave us such a great understanding of who Jesus was. Let's go to chapter 11, and we're going to start with verse 25. Chapter 11, 25. You can look at it in, in your iPhone or your iPad. Or you can look at the screen, or you can have the paper version, the old-fashioned kind. (laughs) At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things, things he'd been talking about, about his life and faith, to the wise and learned, but you revealed them to just little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. Thank God. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. So there's this oneship. And to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And I guarantee you there are people today that Jesus wants to reveal who he is to you. No question. Come to me. That's the greatest invitation to discipleship ever given. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. 
and my burden is light. Come on. If I sat down and just said, amen, isn't that the best thing you've heard all day? All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus. Come to him. And we, we have to often think, what's my relationship then to him? And so that's what we should do is that Jesus gives us in just simply reading the passage, it reminds us of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus doesn't just give us one invitation. He gives us several invitations that we don't catch on. So let's look at five of them. First of all, he says, listen, come and see. Come and see. So when we first recognize who Jesus is, we're asked to come and see who he is. Come hang out with him. Um, and you're going to find that um, part of discipleship, you got to come and see. Come and taste the Lord. See that he's good. Well, secondly, all of these worthy of further study. Uh, John 7 talks about come and drink. John chapter 4, remember the woman at the well? She came and she said, um, I, I, have, you know, I draw this water all the time. And Jesus said, man, give me some water and I'll give you water you never thirst of again. Come and drink. Also, come and follow me, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Come follow me. And in choosing disciples, he's asking them, come, be with me. Come follow me. Come, let's hang out together. And I'm always amazed at how they just left everything to follow him. And, and I really do believe in, 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 in chronological study that probably come and see was first. Come be with me was second. Come and drink, be a part, and eventually come follow me. So there was a, I think there's a sections of time where Jesus spent time with people and then stayed up one night and picked everybody, 12 people, and said, you, 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 come, come be my disciples. And they left everything to do it because I believe they spent some time with him and would have said, I counted a privilege. I mean, again, if Bill Gates said, hey, you want to hang out with me for a year and see if I can't help you change your life, you'd do that in a minute. You'd go, absolutely. I'd leave everything to be able to hang out with you to, to learn some of your knowledge. It was no different than what they were doing with Jesus. And, and finally, Mark 6, he says, or one of them, he says, come and rest a while. Come and um, just don't worry about things. And uh, also Matthew 25, this great passage, come and inherit the kingdom. What he promises, come and inherit the kingdom. Each of those worthy of study. Um, we do not have the time to go through each of those, so we're just going to take the one of in, in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm humble and gentle of heart, and I will give you rest for your souls, for your insides. I'll promise you that. And so the, the beginning, it starts with the yoke. Now, I've, I've been traveling. I travel a lot. I'm the director for church relations. So Pastor Bernie is so wonderful. He's on the board. I, I, I go to churches and do exactly what we're doing, bring you some of the best young people on the planet and let them talk to you about their, their relationship to Christ. And I get to come and do what I love to do and be able to talk about the Lord and about his word because that's what I've given my life to teach is his word. Now, when we look at the yoke, I have never found a yoke in a church. I've looked at stained glass windows, no yokes. You know, you ever wonder why no yokes? 
Because Jesus here says, my yoke, and, and when he mentions the yoke, it has to ask yourself, well, it's what do you do with it? Now, a yoke was made out of metal and wood, and they carved it so that they could put it on an oxen's back, around its neck, and it would separate the oxen so that they were far enough apart not to rub, but also not too far that they didn't go a different direction, fight against each other. You had to be close so that you went the same way by the same power. So two oxen make one. Four oxen make one. With more power and more strength, you got to have the yoke to keep everybody there. I've asked the other two services, never found one. Anybody have a um, tri-power roadrunner, like six-stand roadrunner? Anybody got a tri-power Mopar Dodge Charger? Ugh. They're only about an $85,000 car, like, <laughs> like yours. Um, tri-power means two or three carburetors, all in the link. So what they do in their, in their manifold, the manifold has a yoke. The yoke holds the carburetors so that when one carburetor opens, the next carburetor opens, the next carb, all open exactly the same time. That's called a yoke. Um, and so our day, we still have yokes. We still use them, meaning to use everything the same, to keep it exactly the right distance or the right timing. That's what a yoke is. Um, and so I haven't seen any yokes. I haven't seen any tri-power hanging on the walls. But it does give us a point that when Jesus uses the term yoke, it probably caught people by surprise because yokes were usually for, for work or for, for imprisonment. Sometimes they use yoked. You ever seen the old one, the, the stocks that they would put over people and put their hands through? That's a yoke. It, it forces down over them and keeps them. So when Jesus was talking about a yoke, probably go, people go, what? A yoke? Because Rehoboam, the, the young king in um, Israel, he said, my father's yoke of financial burden was nothing in comparison. He said, his, were, his was nothing. Mine's going to be like scorpions. Yay. They split the kingdom over that. Well, then there's a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, cast off the yoke of slavery, that binding that keeps you enmeshed. And Paul in the New Testament said, cast off the yoke of sin. So we, we have the Bible using these things about the yoke, but they're usually in kind of a negative connotation. So when, when Jesus talks about the yoke, they probably, you know, certainly got everybody's, um, a, you know, attention to what to do with that. And, and they probably said, well, he, I know he means well, but the substance of what the yoke is going to produce. That substance becomes important. And the substance of this particular yoke is that the religious leaders of their day, when Jesus would get up and go, come to me, greatest invitation ever given, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Well, how many of you would have raised your hand? Yep, that's me. I'm, I'm weary and I'm burdened. And they, can you imagine the religion of their day, the burden of, of what they had to do? Guys, they, they loved the Old Testament because remember, and even in Jesus' time, that's all they had was the Old Testament. Reading Leviticus is like treading through mud because it's nothing but a bunch of laws, isn't it? 
One rule after another rule. Well, they didn't have enough rules, so they wrote the Talmud. And the Talmud is a Jewish writers to help the laws be interpreted about the laws. Isn't that great? So by the time of Jesus, gentlemen, you couldn't spit on Sabbath, on Shabbat. No spitting. Because if you spit and it parted the dirt, it's farming. No spitting. That's one of a thousand laws. How many of you have gone through and got a sesame seed bun at McDonald's? How many of you took 10% of the seeds off of the bun, put it in a little Ziploc baggie, and gave it to pastor as, your, as part of your tithe? No, they did. They tithed their mint and their dill. How would you like to go home Take your spices out and put 10% in a little bag because you tie, you were going to be that exacting on your tithe. You go, what a burden. Oh, how about your family comes home and you've got two or three kids and one of them says, I'm sorry, Dad, I cheated at school. All right, go get a goat. We've got to go sacrifice the goat. <laughs> All right. You got it and they smell the fire, the, the skin, the whole shooting match. And then the other kid comes in, sorry, I cussed at school. All right, go get another goat. And before you know it, you have no animals left. You got nothing left. What are, you think, don't you think people were burdened? And then they'd go to the temple, and temple, they made them exchange all their money. That was great. Everybody had different money. So no, no, we only have this kind of money. So everybody had to get. You think about it. You go, they're so burdened when Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. Everybody goes, yeah, 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 that's us. It's all of us. And he said, I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. And I, I mean, that's the greatest invitation in the planet. And, and, and that's why I've had people in this, the substance of this yoke who have told me, I tried Christianity. It, it didn't work. Well, I've decided I'm going to be a basketball player. I have some years left. Eligibility. A couple, I might go back to school so I can play. Maybe Life Pacific would take me back. Okay, I got a basketball. Now, I figured out that the more money you spend, the better you look, okay? The better you look. So I got me some really fancy um, shorts, so I'll put my shorts on, because they were, these, you know, these things were expensive. It was like 30 bucks or something. So I paid like $30 to get my shorts. I can put them in my pants. And I got me a, a shirt because the shirt with your favorite number gonna help you play right? So I'm, I'm really, I'm going to start playing basketball, and I'm going to do it with this outfit. It's really a nice outfit. I got it on. Okay. Okay. Is that good? I, for the life of me, I do not know what these do, but I can tell you it's 20 bucks for Under Armour for this thing, this one's from something else, but it, this is a sleeve, all right? So I got one in black and one in white just in case I need one for each arm. And um, I, I've got $40 in these. So I know 40 bucks. My wife goes, what are you? I'm using them, all right? And I even have one with Nike. Look at this one. I got one with Nike on the front of it too. So I'm put two of them on. Okay. 
Now, I'm, I'm ready. I'm winded. But I, I'm, see, I'm going to play because I got, I look right, don't I? I got my sleeves, I got a ball, got some shorts, got a shirt, got my sweatbands. But I'm not going to practice. Why practice? Because I look good, right? And I, and I have the right terminology, okay? I learned some words. Three points. Nothing but net. Good D. But see, I'm, I'm not really going to practice. And I'm, 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 I'm quite frankly, I, pen, I spent all this money for this stuff. Nobody has asked me to play. My one soul. It doesn't work. I, I bought the stuff, but I can't imagine why nobody asked me to play. But now, what if Steph Curry from the Warriors, all right? What if Steph Curry and I were yoked together for a year? Why are you laughing? It could happen. What if Steph Curry told me when to get up, what to eat, when to run, when to shoot? What if I followed him for one year and I was yoked to him? I promise you, after a year, I'd be in a lot better shape than I am right now. And I'll bet you somebody would say at the end of that year, you kind of look like Steph Curry. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about color. I am talking about how I play. You kind of look like Steph Curry. Watch. <laughs> Come on. You guys know Steph Curry. That's what he does. I can do that too. <laughs> now, let me take this stuff off. There is a, there is a method to this. I went, oh, wrong thing. Oh. Yeah. And if it's on the radio, I always think it'd be funny if I said I'm taking my shorts off. And that'd go over well in church, I'm sure. All right. My hair messed up. It's Okay. All right, now, here's the deal. If I was yoked to Steph Curry for a year, I would play like him. Because when he said, do this, I did it. When he said, I did whatever he did, he was right there with me, coaching me, being there. But you see, before, I bought all this right stuff, but I never practiced or anything. No wonder nobody wants me to play. If you think you can come to church for an hour and a half on a weekend and have Jesus transform your life, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're going to walk away after a month and go, it doesn't work. I'm not cha nothing changed in me. Now, you learn your religious terms, don't you? We praying for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> And you'll get you a big Bible. You'll carry it up from your car. It looks like this one. You haven't read it, but you have it. Come on. You can look like a Christian, 
You can have all the right trappings, all the right words, and never change. I promise you, yoke yourself to Jesus for a year. Be so close you can hear him speak. Do what he tells you to do. Pray when he tells you to pray. Walk when he tells you to walk. Witness when he tells you to witness. Read when he tells you to read. And guess what's going to happen to you at the end of a year? Somebody's going to look at your life and go, you look just like Jesus. Because that's what's going to happen. Come on, somebody at least say amen. amen. It's because being yoked to him means to live with him. Let him change you. Acts chapter 2, they said of the, of the disciples, we recognize them as having been with Jesus. That's all I ask for. You see, you want your life to change. Be yoked to him. Come to me, all you are weary, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm humble and gentle of heart. I have character. He says, and I'll give you a rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When you're yoked to him, you're close enough to live righteously, but you also have, you're far enough that he lets you have direction. But when you're pulling together, you're pulling as one. You and God become one. And it's not you trying to do your own thing. You're, you're attached to him so that he's right there going, now, and you hear him. But try to pretend to be a Christian and do nothing. That's what you're going to wind up with. Nothing. Because you're, there's no growth. There's no change. Salvation's change, folks. And these young people that you're talking about, all of them have testimonies of how God changed their lives. Changed them. And the same way with, with my life, Pastor Bernie, all of us, we were, we were lost. And God found us. And only difference, I will say for me, is that somebody, when I first got saved, said, yoke yourself to Christ. Do it now. And he'll care for the world. And that's what happens. And so, three things as we end this. Number one, unless you come, nothing changes. Nothing changes. You have to come. And that's the first word that Jesus gives us. You come to me. So that's the whole point. There's one Savior, and his name is Jesus, and that's why we come to him. That's the first point. Second point, you have to become. See, John says, not of a father's will, not the purpose of man, but of God, born of God. See, if you don't come, you can't become a child of God. And struggling to just not come, you're not going to change. So we have to change to become. And then if you wonder why your life doesn't overcome, why, why your pathways, why you're not growing, it's because you don't thirdly overcome. And in order to overcome, you have to come to become to overcome. Because to overcome means that you're going to walk in the way of Jesus, who is greater than even Satan himself, according to 1 John 2.14. We even overcome the works of the devil. And so there's this sense of growth that happens for people who want to be yoked to him and have their lives changed. But you cannot overcome till you become a child of God. You can't become a child of God unless you'll come to him. And thank God the invitations to all who will hear him. He's not picky, folks. He will actually train and disciple anybody who is willing to come. And I, I, I can testify to that. Pathways to growth. 
one pathway is to come to and accept the greatest invitation, the invitation of Christ. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.